Hey guys, thank you for downloading this episode of the Final Third Podcast. As always, we have an amazing show for you guys today. We talk about Euros, Copa America, U.S. Men's National Team, and Tottenham Hotspur being very, very bad at hiring managers. All that and more coming up. Give us a rating and review wherever you listen to us on. That always helps us grow the show. Give us a follow on Twitter and Instagram as well at Final Third Show. Those links are going to be in the show notes down below for you. And yeah, enjoy the show. Hello and welcome back to the Final Third Podcast, our news and predictions show. This is the internet's number one soccer variety podcast where we talk about soccer from all around the globe, US-centric, but all around the globe. My name is AJ Tabura. I'm one of the hosts. I support Minnesota United, the US national teams, and West Ham United. But since it is the summer for the international tournaments in Europe, I'm supporting the Czech Republic and Finland, and they're doing weirdly well right now. And I guess in Copa America, um, Argentina, I, I, I have a soft spot for. Peru, I suppose, I also have a soft spot for. So those who who I am supporting for these summer tournaments, Jack, my other co-host, who are you supporting in general and in these tournaments? Well, at club level, Chelsea, Minnesota United, and Atalanta, which, you know, they're all having players perform in the Euros yeah. pretty well, actually, as well. Uh, and uh, for the Euros, I'm a big fan of France and Slovakia. Uh, France is my primary national team as well. And then for the Copa America, I am unfortunately supporting Colombia, which Ooh. is not going well for them. Uh, it could be going worse, but it could also be going a lot better. So <laughs> we'll say that much yeah. about that. Yeah, And I'm excited to talk about Colombia because we are going to talk about Copa America, the teams that are doing pretty well, teams that are doing not so well in Colombia's case, as well as the Euros and some other news items here and there. But before we get to any of our designated segments, Jack, I have a question for you. Mm-hmm. Do you like drinking Coca-Cola uh, or water? No, I'm got my water here. Yeah, big water guy, big water guy. What is your favorite soda if you had to choose? Oh, it's got to be a A and W root beer, classic. A and W root beer, okay. That's that's interesting. Did you did you happen to drink root beer when you were younger, like when you were? Maybe in preschool, maybe not that young, but like when you were in like young elementary school. Probably a little bit, but it was I, most, I mostly drank Sprite when I was younger. But but root beer, I I, lo- I love it. I love a good uh, good craft root beer too. You know. Oh, okay, okay. Well, I, I ask that the root beer question because I have read online that if you are a child and you don't drink root beer at a young age, like by the time you turn ten, if you haven't like really drank in root beer a lot, you're not going to like it again in the future. Like it is like set huh, in stone. Weird. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And the reason why we bring any soda talk at all is because, you know, it's just a, a fun little news item. Cristiano Ronaldo put away a Coca-Cola uh, bottle that was there and they're the sponsor of the Euros and it said, drink water instead. And honestly, I kind of agree with him. Water is very good. Water, I think, is the best liquid on earth hot take. All right, well, with that out of the way, with our little Coca-Cola discussion out of the way, follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Final Third Show in order to keep updated with what we're doing. And now let's get into the newsroom, our first of a segments, the, the, the real crux of the episodes here on the News and Predictions show. 
where we talk about some big, big news stories that are going on in the soccer world. Just kind of discuss them, their merits and whatever. We're talking Euros and Copa America, yes, but right off the gate, probably the title of this episode. Tottenham, Jack, are very bad at hiring managers. Did you know this? Did you oh, know how bad they are? It's fantastic to see as a Chelsea fan, but uh, I'm yeah. sure for Tottenham fans, it's, it, it, it's very frightening for them. Yeah, well, let me walk through the course of events that have happened in the past couple of months for the Spurs. Spurs are in the market for a new manager after Jose Mourinho, their previous manager, got fired mere days before the EFL Cup final. And so they went in there with an interim manager and obviously lost. Jose Mourinho is now coaching at AS Roma in Italy. And after having talks fall apart with Pochettino, Conte, Ten Hag, Rodgers, they decided, and they being Tottenham, decided to go with Paulo uh, Fonesca, I believe is how you pronounce it. Fonseca, I think. Fonseca, okay. Well, yes, I guess that would make sense because he's previously of Roma. But just like with Conte, the issue hiring him was with money. In Conte's case, it was uh, the, the, the team that they were building. There was enough investment. And with him, with Paulo, it was because of tax issues on the contract. They didn't want to shell out more money to pay uh, to adjust for the taxes or whatever with his contract. And that's kind of that's kind of pathetic a little bit. They then turned to uh, Gennaro Gattuso, who was of Fiorentina for a couple of weeks. For 22 days, 22 days. Yeah, yeah. Just uh, man, 22 days. Yeah, just just uh, enough to get moved in and then pack everything right back up. One month lease. Yeah, one one month lease. Gattuso was in there was some preliminary conversations, but it never really got too far. They decided, obviously, against hiring him. So the search now continues for another manager. Jack, I guess my first question is, are Spurs a banter club? Well, I'll tell you what, uh Spurs are in the mud. That's what they are. <laughs> that that's that's where they are right now. Uh but yeah, I mean, the big thing, the common theme is that all of these managers wanted money and Tottenham was like, nah, they had chances to get world-class signings, you know, or like world-class managers like Antonio Conte, even Gattuso. He might not be the best manager, but he's he he's done solid jobs elsewhere. Yeah. Uh, and now they're looking at uh, right now, I believe, uh, Nuno Espirito Santo. Who, I thought he was going to Everton. That, that's what I've heard too. But I've heard I've heard that Spurs are trying to, to snag him away. So we'll we'll see on that. But mm. you know, it, it's it's really it's really bad for them because yeah. Spurs are supposedly like a big club. That's that's what they say, and that's what they're that's why they have fans, right? That's why a, why they have a lot of fans. But when you can't get a manager to come in and coach, like arguably some of the best. And, and like best names in the Premier League, like Hyunmin Son, very, very good winner. Uh, Harry Kane, arguably one of like arguably the best striker in Europe. I'd say it's Lewandowski. He probably is like second or third at least, though. Like, probably. I mean, right. Like <laughs> that you should even with just those two players, the prospect of getting to work with those two players alone should be enough to to entice at least a manager to come through, especially some that don't have anything else right now and you know 
especially it, it's just very telling that a lot of managers are just passing it up altogether in favor of doing nothing like yeah. that. That's it. It would be one thing if they were linked to like another job, but no, like Antonio Gennaro, Conte is just on his couch right, right. now. He he's watching he's watching the Italian national team do really well in the Euros, thinking that could have been me because he was coaching the Italian national team a while back. Uh, and yeah, I mean, like he he's he's perfectly content with that. Uh, he posted a picture right after the talks supposedly fell apart of him just chilling at a beach. And uh, <laughs> I, if, if that wow. that's just that just shows like you know what's going on with with, with that, and it's. It's worrying for for Spurs because if they want to continue to be a big club that is competing at the highest levels, they need to be able to get managers to come in and actually perform because, you know, some Spurs fans are like, oh, Ryan Mason's one of our own. He's he can be good, but come on, he's he's younger than half of the squad. I I mean, like it, it, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And you know, you saw what it got you in the EFL Cup final. Do you really want that for a full season? It, it I, I, I don't know. I, it, I'm not even sure who they're going to get. Which, I mean, AJ, I guess, who do you think they, they should go out and get of the options? I feel like we've mentioned this every week, and then that play, that manager gets linked, and then is like, nah, I've got better things to do. I, well, I, I honestly do not have any ideas. I think looking back to my predictions on who Spurs are going to get, the only name that remains. A possibility, I guess, is Eddie Howe, but that is a very, very steep decline in quality compared to Ten Hag, Conte, if they got Pochettino back. So I, I, I highly doubt no matter what happens that Spurs fans are going to be happy, which I mean, can you blame them? Like, like, think about it, right? They got a new stadium. That's a positive. They got, you know, historically good players. They historically got some good managers. and. Now, Daniel Levy, who I think in many Spurs uh, fans' minds is the villain of the story, has completely derailed the plan of this club, the future of this club, because A, one of the longest-running criticisms of his time there was the fact that he and the coaches always kept players on for too long. They weren't able to offload players in a way that made, made them profitable and the way that allowed the squad to naturally evolve. Compare that to Liverpool, who got the rid of the likes of Coutinho right when the iron was hot and was allowed to grow the squad in a natural way. That's now what's happening with, with Spurs. And B, with, with Daniel Levy, his inability to even, to even fathom the idea of investing any money into this team. How do you refuse to invest while at the same time refuse to either sell Kane or if you do sell Kane, invest his potential transfer funds? There is a severe disconnect with Daniel Levy's plans and the obvious right plan, which is to scrap the the plan of having Kane and sell him, reinvest, build from the ground up, even if it takes a couple of years, because that's how you maintain big club stature. It's not by running these players into the ground until they're worth nothing and then you have nothing to show for it. You gotta like play the business because this is a business and there's such a badly run team and I'll end off on this before I give it back to you but there's such a badly run team 
that I honestly think that I should start a business because if Daniel Levy can be considered a successful businessman, I'm convinced <laughs> that anyone can as well. Jack, what what needs to happen in order for Spurs to get back on track? Like, does Daniel Levy need to go? What needs to change structurally? I mean, I, I think most Spurs fans, uh, as soon as you said Daniel Levy has to go, were way on board with you with that. Yeah, uh, basically. Because, I mean... It's he. He's not a good owner. He he really does not invest in this team. But the overall takeaway, Tottenham, you need to build a project. You can't yeah. just go for the interim. Otherwise, you're never going to get out of the cycle of that. That's. I mean, it's not even a cycle at this point. It's just a downward spiral. Really. <laughs> oh that, man, that's what it's been. Because Absolutely. you were Champions League finalists. Then you were in the. Uh, then you uh, got knocked out early in the Champions League. Then you got knocked out in the Europa League uh, round of sixteen. And now you're in the Europa Conference League. You're, it's, it's has gotten worse and worse every season. Yes, I'm going to have to agree. And let's keep on going with the newsroom. And we're, we're going to be talking about Tottenham, I feel like, for, for a while. Uh, as long until as they, they get a new manager. manager. Yeah. yeah, exactly, exactly. So we'll keep you guys updated on that. Let's go on to the Euros, which is probably going to be the bulk of the newsroom and what we're going to be talking about. Uh, match day two just ended. We're going to be talking about a little bit of match day three because at the time of recording, we're recording this Sunday night, which means that uh, the games for Group A have concluded. We're getting this out on Monday morning, so I believe it's Group B and C. We right, tomorrow. We'll be predicting what's going to happen, perhaps, but we won't know for sure. But from what we've seen through the first two match days of the group stage, Jack, who are some of your teams that you are impressed by? The good teams, uh, I should say. Uh, well, some one team for sure, and I, I have a feeling you're going to say them too, Italy. Italy oh, yeah. have been so impressive. I, I knew they were going to be pretty good at this tournament, but I had no idea how good they were going to be. Like th- This was just a, an incredible tournament. They scored seven goals and conceded zero. They, their midfield controlled every single game well. Uh, and you know, I, you can call me biased for being a Chelsea fan, but Jorginho, he started every game. He was incredible in all of them. He, he really, he really was. He, he dictated the play incredibly. You know, their front line has been incredibly dynamic. They were so confident at the end of the game, uh, today that they made a substitute, uh, for their goalkeeper. They substituted yeah. off Donnarumma for Sirigu. Like, I mean, that, that's how confident they were. Then also... It, we 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 have to talk about the game today because Italy's reserve team beat Wales. Not their yeah. first team. They only had three people uh, from their A team starting, and that was uh, Jorginho, Donnarumma, and Chiellini. Or Benucci, sorry. Chiellini yes. came off injured before. That shows you how dangerous this Italy side is. And at at the start of this tournament, I, I said France had the most depth, the, the most complete squad. I actually think Italy is rivaling them for that at this oh, yeah. point. Like this, this is incredible because Wales was the second best in that group and they just dispatched of them like nothing. Sure. There was a red card, but still like it was impressive nonetheless. Yeah. Italy have definitely been the best team. I, it's like you can't even deny it right through the three games that they played. They've scored seven conceded none. In fact, they haven't conceded any goals in the past 11 games that they have yeah. played. I do not understand how like the both of us and the rest of the soccer media world overlook them as 
like serious, serious contenders to win can it. I, yeah, can I can I quick yeah, sure, uh, give a reason why? Recency bias, it's got to be. Because, you know, they weren't in the 2018 World Cup. We didn't right. get to see them at a major tournament. And we just assumed like, oh, if they if they didn't make it into, they're obviously pretty bad. But no, they, they really were. They 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 use that time to rebuild well. And it, it, we're, we're seeing yeah. the fruits of that labor right now. Mm-hmm. They got young in some positions. They relied on some experience in others. They have been doing very, very well. Uh, one team that I will mention that is a contender that a lot of people thought would be good and newsflash, they are good. Belgium. Once Kevin De Bruyne came on against Denmark, he completely changed the game. And the fact that he might be coming back from injury and is going to be healthy in the next uh, few games. Eden Hazard can also be coming back uh, into full fitness. Like this Belgium team is going to be scary once they get up and running, which I think they are in the midst of doing. I'll also mention Sweden, who are defensively very sound. They're very organized. They're now on top of Group E with four points. Nobody really saw that, you know, happen. I had them last. <laughs> yeah, I, I had them, I think, third place. But overall, I don't think Sweden's going to go terribly far because uh, you kind of need to score a lot of goals in order to do very well. But I'm, I'm pleasantly surprised by how well Sweden's been doing in Group E. We'll be going okay. through all the groups at the end of this but jack any other good teams that you want to talk about well you said that they have to score goals to do well tell that to portugal in 2016 they they didn't score much but they they, they somehow got their way to a to a trophy and very at the true end of it. very so, true uh one other team that i'll mention that that has been impressive czech republic yep i mean nobody could have seen just what the czech like what the czech republic would have done ever I, I think almost everyone had them third or fourth I don't know of a single person who put them in first. And that's where they're sitting going into the final match day. And <laughs> that that's just incredible. Like, but it's really down to one man, Patrick yep. Schick, really. Patrick like Schick. he is he he has scored three goals. He is joint top of the Euro goal scoring so far. He he's impressive. I I I kind of I kind of clowned on him a little bit in our preview and said, uh, it's just Patrick Schick. But that's all, Patrick, need, that's all you need apparently that and a few halfway line goals and david marshall off his line and you're good uh and yeah i mean czech republic have been very sound defensively as well only giving up one goal like that uh that that's pretty impressive like uh you know vaklich came up big against scotland in in their 2-0 win over them so yeah i mean czech republic has been a big surprise i think that definitely like i don't think many people would have seen coming i don't th i don't think anybody did yeah they are ahead of england croatia and scotland on top of group d their next game is england so we'll really see what the they're made test, of yeah. yeah and i i want to say that that is going to be at wembley stadium in i London. believe it is yeah so a uh, really really big test for them let's hope that they yeah. can at least make it competitive and all they need is a draw to top the group yeah that 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 is true so I'm going to keep my fingers crossed uh, for that. Some bad teams. Uh, I'll, I'll say the, the one that's very obvious to literally everyone. That's Turkey. We <laughs> no. both had Turkey as our Dark Horse team. And apparently so did literally everybody. People saw their uh, recent success against the Netherlands. They saw the fact that they were the team to concede the least going into Euro qualifying. And 
they went into this tournament and conceded eight, eight goals and scored just one to get a grand total of zero points in the group stage. Just completely, completely shambolic. Borak Ilmaz was going to be the talisman, couldn't get balls to him. The defense was their strong suit going in. But as it turns out, if you lose the midfield, if the defense is not as organized as they need to be, it's going to fall apart. Turkey have been very, very bad. Literally the worst team probably in a, in a long time in the Euros. I can't imagine another team that has been so highly rated and just destroyed <laughs> expectations like that. Uh, another one I'll mention is Croatia. They weren't oh, able yeah. to really create anything the past couple of games. Their midfield is old. Uh, Modric is... You know, one of their only great players, really no game changers. Jack, any other uh, bad teams? I can think of a couple. Uh, oh. th- there's, there's some that stand out a little bit more than others. I'll let you take yeah. those. There, there's one that, that you know, if, if, if you were going to say that they're, they've been a bad team, I would, have, I would have been very upset with you for it. If you had said Denmark, I would have, I would have been furious no, 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 because, no, no they, they've, had, they've had enough troubles with, like without having the final third labeling them as a bad team. Uh, but uh, Spain, right. Spain is an obvious one. Like they've been awful, like just awful. Like I, I, I could try and be nice to them, but like, no, it's, it's been terrible. I, I said in our preview that anything but topping this group would be failure. They have fully failed. Like even if they go through to the round of 16, this is a failure. By, it's bad. They have two points. They've drawn both of their games against Sweden and Poland, scoring one goal, missing a penalty. Alvaro Morata somehow has scored their only goal of the tournament, yet has missed about 25 chances. It yeah, feels literally. Like. It's, he, he missed a wide open goal after Moreno missed his penalty. Wide open. He, he literally just needed to hit it anywhere near the goal, and it would have been a goal. But no, he, he, he's flopped. There is no standout player in the Spanish team. They haven't mm-hmm. been able to create much. And even when they have created anything, there's no finishing touch. Their defense has been all right. I'll give them that. But it's so clear that this Spain is not the Spain of 2008 to 2012. It could not have been more clear in these past two games. This, they even look a far cry away from the the team that beat Germany, even though it's basically the same team, like the the team that crushed Germany six to zero. I don't know where they went because they clearly like the, this. This has to be some kind of body double thing. Like there's yeah. no way this, except for Murata, he always misses shots. I mean, right. Th- this has not been a good tournament for Spain it, to the point where I'd even doubt like them getting a win against Slovakia. And I like Slovakia, but come on. I, yeah. I, you should, Spain should be beating them, but I'm not, I'm not even, I wouldn't even be confident about them doing that. Yeah, I agree. Other bad teams, I will say Portugal. Uh, I'll talk about them a little bit more in the prediction section because we're going to review one of their games uh, or predict one of their games, one of the two. They continue to play way too defensively despite having an average defense. They got walked over by Germany because the Portuguese defense folded and their attackers just weren't up for the task. England as well. I feel like everyone talks about England not being too great, but uh, they didn't play very well last game. Drew 0-0 with Scotland. They still have a lot of defensive organization, so that's that's a good thing, but 
to me, it's just all about allowing their attackers a bit more creativity and not play so defensively and so conservatively. Maybe start some of your young talent like Foden, Sancho, and Grealish and not just sub them out like for like, like Southgate seems to be doing in the past two games. Just a thought, just a thought. Let's go on to some trends. Jack, what are some overall trends that you have seen uh, continue that you mentioned in the last Thursday episode or uh, some new trends that you have been noticing as well? Well, I think underestimating teams is still a very present thing. Uh, you, you can see this all, all the time. Like, uh, you know, I feel, I feel like uh, initially Belgium kind of underestimated Denmark in the first half of their game. And it almost, ma- it almost, it almost hurt them a lot. But then Kevin De Bruyne came on and, and just walked over De- Denmark, really. And, you know, uh, same with uh, Slovakia. You know, they, I feel like they're a bit unlucky to not get a point against Sweden. Yeah. They, re- they played quite well. It's just that they, they didn't have the urgency later. But, you know, they, these teams, especially, I, I worry for Spain. Uh, like I said, if they don't take Slovakia seriously, they're, they're going to be in, a, in for a world of hurt. Because they are a tough nut to crack. It took a penalty for Sweden to score past them. Uh, and, you know, it, against Fr- France as well. I, I can't believe I almost didn't talk about my own team. Yeah. France underestimated Hungary. That, it's so clear. They, and, uh, you know, I, 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 told, I went on a rant, AJ can attest to, about, <laughs> yep. about France's tactics being all messed up. And how, you know, trying to go with two strikers just isn't working for them. They need winners. They need to play lawn balls. They're not doing any of it. Uh, and they underestimated Hungary, clearly. And it hurt them a lot. And they dropped two points in what should have been uh, a pretty resounding victory for them. But yeah, I, I also think North Macedonia as well almost hurt Ukraine pretty mm-hmm. hard. Uh, Austria was almost hurt pretty hard by, by uh, North Macedonia as well. Uh, and yeah, I think that that's a big thing. And then one other quick thing that I, that I want to mention, because it is kind of in my wheelhouse, political discussions have been yeah. all over the Euros, all over some valid, some definitely not valid at all. Uh, Ukraine, their jerseys before their jerseys include an outline of Ukraine that, uh, that includes the Crimean peninsula, mm-hmm. which Russia, uh, annexed, uh, and kind of, very, very illegally, I'd say, and uh, they, they, they definitely shouldn't have control of it. But uh, yeah, they, and uh, UEFA didn't have a problem with that. But then they had a problem with the phrase glory to the heroes on the inside of the collar. It doesn't even say to like the Ukrainian heroes, just to the heroes. It doesn't specify anything. So that was a little bit weird. Uh, we had, of course, Marko Arnautovich going on his anti-Albanian rant against North Macedonia, where he got hit with a one game suspension right great great job uefa uh one game suspension for a racist rant that was caught on camera uh fantastic work really uh that's some sarcasm by the way just in case (laughs) that wasn't translating well enough i feel like he probably should have gotten at least banned for the rest of the group stage at least but uh and then we have the worst uh part of it all which happened today very yeah, I mean, it was kind of almost a blink and you'll miss it type news story. But Germany, uh, Manuel Neuer wore a uh, LGBTQ pride armband. 
uh, in their match against Portugal. And UEFA start, uh, announced an investigation into it for being a political statement. And even though that investigation was shut pretty quickly, they lost all of their goodwill that they got from literally the entire soccer community, I'll say, from, from like their, uh, their work to dismantle the Super League, really. And they, they lost all that goodwill in a day. So all of these, there's been a ton of political controversy, controversy at the Euros. Uh, I have a feeling there's going to be more as uh, Germany is going to light up the Allianz Arena where uh, where they're playing against Hungary, who just passed a law banning uh, teaching of or mentioning LGBTQ uh, anything in schools. So that'll be interesting to see how that goes and if anything will happen because of that. But yeah, it, it's been an in from a political from a, a political science nerd who loves soccer. This has been a very interesting tournament. Yeah, I am surprised you didn't mention more about Hungary, who oh. uh, supporters groups have been known to be pretty fascist and Nazi sympathizers in nature. Uh, they they didn't have the, the best of games in terms of being polite against France. I think uh oh. There was news that Kylian Mbappe got racially abused, uh, got compared to uh, a monkey by those Hungarian fans. So there have been uh, a multitude of different controversies going around the UEFA sphere. Some trends that I will mention, I've been talking about this a lot the last couple of weeks, conservative football that just hasn't been doing well for the contenders. Playing too safe has really hurt the likes of France, Portugal, England, and to some extent Spain. Defense wins championships, but you need to score to get to that championship game in the first place. I think they should find a balance like Italy has. Italy is historically known to be very, very strong defensively, but now they have really unlocked their attackers, uh, allowed them to be creative, allowed them to create and play their game, and that's really helped. One of the last ones I'll mention very quickly before we go on to the Copa America is VAR. VAR has been pretty good in this tournament. Yeah. There hasn't been a lot of huge refereeing controversies. The only one I could really think about, and Jack, mention another one if, if you have one, but Lovren elbowing Patrick Schick and that getting called as a penalty for the Czech mm. Republic was the only one that kind of got people a little bit suspicious. But other than that, I can't really think of one. I mean, uh, England versus Scotland. Uh, there yeah. Were- Sterling, it looks like he might have gotten caught a little bit on the top of his foot. It, it, it's tough, though, because the Scotland player nicks the ball a little bit, too. It, I, I feel like it would have been too much for VAR to overturn. And the fact that, like, you know, it's that close and VAR didn't overturn the decision on the it's field a good thing. shows it's working properly because it's meant to overturn clear and obvious errors, not m- ambiguous errors. Yeah, that that's that's the main thing about VAR. And, you know, if if only the Premier League could utilize it like this, it would be such a such a better place. Yeah, be such a better place. Well, Gary Neville actually said it best when he tweeted the other day, the PL's use of VAR made me doubt it. Watching this tournament made me realize we've overcomplicated it, misused it and thought we knew better than tournaments and countries that had used it before us, which I think personally might be the first time that an Englishman has ever admitted that they're not perfect at literally everything <laughs> they do. That's that's so, so crazy. But it's true. VAR, this tournament, it, it's fast, it's decisive, and the referees and the VAR referees 
make it a mission to not get in the way of the game. They right. they're using it as a tool and not a crutch, which I think is a big issue with the Premier League that yeah. most other countries, bar maybe Italy, have had no problem with overall. So those are the trends that I've been noticing. Let's go right on to the Copa America. We're going to be talking about the conclusion of these groups, and we're also going to be talking about the knockout stages later in this week on Thursday, so check out that episode. Let's quickly talk about Copa America, Jack. The groups have been coming in hot and heavy. We have Argentina and Chile going on top of the South Zone and Brazil and Colombia on top of the North Zone. Which of these teams have been, in your opinion, good have been improving or have been impressive overall brazil obviously yeah. they've, they've been fantastic <laughs> but that everyone predicted that i mean brazil have just performed outstanding in both of their games i believe against venezuela was uh, was the first one and against peru uh peru yeah yep. uh they were they were outstanding in in both of those games really really showed their depth well just showed that they were able to adapt uh, and that that's fantastic. And I, I, I think Brazil are pretty clearly the favorites. They're the team to beat in this tournament so far. And, you know, as far as uh, teams that have impressed me in the, the South group, as it's called, or group B, I'll say Chile because Argentina yeah. hasn't really impressed me that much. I'm going to be honest because, you know, they, it, it's still just all on Messi, it seems, to try and create something. But Chile has been very impressive. They were impressive in that game against Argentina. They performed quite well. I mean, they had to rely on a penalty to get a draw against them. But even then, I think they deserved the point. They they definitely deserved the point in that. And I, you know, they, they performed pretty well in their uh, most recent game against Bolivia. It was it was a conservative 1-0 win. But, you know, it shows that this golden generation for Chile isn't quite ready to give up fighting for something. And that and that's something you've got to respect for that. And uh, yeah, th those are the teams that look really good to me. Uh, AJ, do you have any other teams that you'd say look really good? I I, I wouldn't say really good, but I, I do think Argentina has been OK, at least uh, good enough to be considered good by me. It, they had an uninspiring draw against Chile, like you mentioned, but they had a, a crucial win over heated rivals Uruguay. So it's not like. If it was a 1-0 win against the likes of Bolivia, I would be very <laughs> concerned. But Uruguay are a direct rival in this group and in this competition overall. So that win, I think, is pretty impressive. Other than that, there haven't been any like real standout teams that have been really good. I mean, to be fair, most of these teams are you know two to three games into the group stage. So we'll learn more as we head into the knockout stage next week. Uh, in terms of poor teams, teams that have disappointed me, I'll say Uruguay. They've only played one game, but they couldn't get Cavani and Suarez the ball in their game against you know the team that you need to be able to beat if you want a chance to win this tournament. And so that, that that's very concerning to me for this team. Their midfield was a mess. It, it just was not up to par. It's not a great look to start off their campaign. Yes, they have three more games to play. But at the same time, losing against Argentina is not the way that you want to start. It's not a good sign. Jack, there is one other team that has been uh, pretty concerning, given how high expectations might be for this team historically. I think you might be familiar with this team. I'll let you do the talking on this one. 
It's Columbia. It's yeah. Columbia. Ugh, they've been... I, I wanted them to do well. I really want them to do well because I like so many of their players. But they just have been they've they've gotten worse over the course of the tournament. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> yeah, literally. they started out with a really good one zero win over Ecuador. Like that was really good. Then they had a zero zero draw to their heated rivals Venezuela. Like it pretty uninspiring, honestly, zero zero draw. But to be to their to Venezuela's credit, their goalkeeper was on another level for yeah. throughout that entire game. Oh my game. gosh, they, he went insane. He he made what seven saves or something like that. It was just incredible. He he made a lot of saves. That that's that that's all I'll remember from that. He he made a lot. Uh and then they lost today against Peru courtesy of an own goal. So and not even their only goal in that was a penalty too. They they lost 1 to 2. They got back into the game. They pressured the uh, they they put shots on the Peruvian goal all all night. Couldn't get anything past them. They had the majority of possession. They outpassed them. They were better with pass accuracy. They just couldn't create any enough really. They and with with attacking talents like Duvan Zapata and Luis Muriel, who were absolutely lighting it up in Serie A, they should be like they should be winning against Peru or at least drawing. At least, but losing to them that that's that's pretty poor uh they they've just been very bad this entire tournament, and it hurts because I want them to do so well. I really yeah. do i but you know i I just can't say that they've been a team that looks like they're going to be a true threat in this tournament, which is really unfortunate because i want the, I want them to be one yeah, I mean, yeah, good teams in the Copa America make for an entertaining Copa America overall. So I'd like to see them do well. I I think it's quite clear that they will more than likely make it into the quarterfinals. Yes, they're playing Brazil next. Yes, they uh, that's their last game. But I I don't really believe in Venezuela and Ecuador or Peru to really like light things up enough to for all three of them to do enough to get Colombia. Because I will I I will remind everyone that these groups are two groups of five. The top four in each of the group goes on to the quarterfinals. So only one team is the unlucky loser. Jack, I, back me up here. He, they'll probably make it. I mean, the fact that you're saying that you have to say they'll probably make it yeah. is concerning, given that just three years ago, this was a team that took England to penalties in the World Cup. Like that, that that's a pretty significant drop off, I'll say. I, 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 and like the fact that they, it's very possible that they don't qualify from this group should be concerning mm-hmm. because because of the the teams that are in here like that. That's that's all I'll say to end that off. Yeah, those are our Copa America reviews of the teams. We also reviewed the Euros and those teams and some larger trends. We're going to be talking about Euros later this Thursday. That is it for the newsroom. We're not going to do our news in 90 because we had a lot to talk about the Euros and with uh, the Copa America. But now let's talk about the lower league lowdown, which is back uh, temporarily for today to talk about the NW, not N, yeah, NPSL. Yeah, I almost said NWSL. Nope. Uh, Jack is going to be talking a little bit about Minneapolis City. I do have an addendum to talk about some other teams in the NPSL. But Jack, you know, our team, Minneapolis City, has been doing historically well this season. Talk talk to us about what's going on in the fourth division of America. 
Yeah, well, they're actually ab- absolutely crushing it, really. And they could actually clinch the NPSL North Conference Division with a win over bottom uh, of the table, Lacrosse Aries, on June 26th. Uh, if you want to watch that, because they have been really good, it, they stream it on their YouTube for free. You can watch it all on there. Highly recommend it. Their commentators are really good. Uh, and I, I've really enjoyed watching them. And, you know, they have dominated the North Conference division and they're doing it incredibly. They haven't drawn a game. They haven't lost a game. They have 24 points from 24. They're one of only three teams in the entire NPSL, which has about 100 teams to have a perfect record this season. They have conceded six goals in total, but they've scored 31 goals and they, they are absolutely cruising. And it's, it's incredible because Minneapolis city are a team that are mostly committed to playing younger semi-pro or amateur players. Yeah. Like not just that, uh, if if I can add, Mm -hmm. but they only use players locally. The only like local Minnesota players. That's even more impressive in my opinion. Yeah. They're, they're not, they're not going out to like, try and get transfers or anything like that. They're just committed to developing the soccer scene in Minnesota. And it's, it's proving to be really successful, which is awesome to see. And uh, Minneapolis city have been committed to playing those kinds of players and their dominance has just been downright impressive. Really 31 goals in eight games. That is incredible. You're averaging about four goals per game. They they've been they've been astounding really by any metric. They their last game was a five to zero win over uh over Sioux Falls Thunder. I I believe it it was like they they were just fantastic in that game really. And you know the one thing that you have to you have to say though still is can this translate into playoff success? And I I just wanted to uh to give a, a look at the playoff picture I guess for the NPSL North maybe it'll inspire you to check out your local NPSL team and see how they're doing in in this but the playoffs for the NPSL North the top two teams from each of the the divisions in the Midwest Region Conference qualify for it uh so from the Great Lakes Conference North and Rust Belt Conference Minneapolis City are in prime position for a top two seed. And what that means is they will get a buy into the semifinal round. And re- that's based off of points per game. That's how seeding is working. Of course, they're at three points per game. But one of the other perfect teams in NPSL is in the Midwest region, and that's Milwaukee Torrent in the Great Lakes Conference. So that's their biggest rival, I'd say, for the for, uh, you know, top seed. But right now, if they can continue on this trend, they look like a very dangerous team. And if they can get into the semifinals, then, you know, I, I would back them to beat any of the teams, at least uh, in here. Uh, the only ones that I would say would be tricky. Cleveland SC, Pittsburgh Hotspurs are a little tricky. And of course, Milwaukee Torrent. So those are some teams to look out for for them. But, you know, I'm hoping that they can make it in. Of course, like I said, they will get top in the North Conference division if they win over Lacrosse Aries FC this uh this sat this upcoming Saturday. So that's how it's looking in the NPSL North. You know, check out your local NPSL team. There's some really exciting stuff happening all over in here. Uh, I believe uh, you know, I I've mentioned two of the unbeaten teams uh or perfect record teams. The other one is a team that a lot of MLS or Open Cup fans will know, FC Baltimore Christos. 
Uh, they have a perfect record right now. Six, zero and zero, 18 points so far. Uh, and yeah, they, they look like a really solid team as well. But, you know, I, I, I love lower leagues in Europe and I love them in the U.S. as well. And that's why I'm encouraging you to check out your local soccer. Yeah, I am 100% agreeing. And the reason why I wanted to hijack this section is to talk a little bit about what makes NPSL so interesting. One of the things that Jack asked was, does this translate to playoff success? And the thing about the NPSL and a lot of the lower leagues outside of the professional leagues in the U.S. is just how big they get. Same thing with the UPSL and the the USASA leagues. These leagues are ballooning in size and for good reason like a lot of people want to get semi-pro teams in their local city but that means that there are going to be 72 maybe 100 teams in each of these divisions each of these leagues and that makes it hard to be the overall champion of the NPSL like you have to have a very well-run team I think just a couple years ago we had the New York Red Bulls U23s win uh in the NPSL like you need to have a lot of backing or you need to have a very organized team it's like the fa cup in terms of how much giant killing how much like craziness can happen it's just that but a hundred times more i think minneapolis city does have a serious chance given how organized they are this year compared to even other years where they have been almost as good as now but that, that that's what i want to say about the npsl just how crazy it gets i will also be hijacking this section next week to talk about some usl because there are some very interesting developments. There's very interesting players that I think are going to potentially make a move to not just MLS, but Europe as well. So that is it for the lower league lowdown. I can't believe I'm the one out trying this. <laughs> Usually it's Jack. This is Jack's section. Uh, let's get into my section. I don't have a lot to talk about this week because uh, this, my section is the U.S. men's national team corner where I talk about a big story with the U.S. men's national team. Uh, the Gold Cup preliminary roster came out, but if anyone actually cares about that, they're a little bit crazy because it's 60 names, which is half of our domestic roster overall. Uh, some nice inclusions, I think, were just Justin Shea, Daryl DK, Leon Flatch, some young names like Paxton Pomacall, uh, uh, Amaya as well. You know, those guys, it's just nice to see them. Will they get picked? Will they not get picked? Who knows? It's 60 players whittling down to 23 i have nothing else to say to that the thing i do want to talk about is the world cup qualifying in Concacaf. i mentioned i was going to talk about this uh, a couple weeks ago and here i am uh, talking about it this is going to be a very very interesting world cup qualifying cycle for the u.s men's national team because instead of six teams being in the final round where the top three advanced the world cup it's now eight teams and so I'm going to talk about a little bit about how this eventually shaped up and how these teams qualified. We had we had five teams directly qualify based on, I think, a FIFA ranking slash maybe some Nations League results as well. But we have uh, five teams that automatically uh, went in. That includes the USA and Mexico. I'll get into more of that later. We also had some uh, qualifiers that... Uh, got in through the previous two rounds, the first and second rounds. I'm going to talk a little bit about that. Uh, the first round was pretty much every other CONCACAF team that isn't in that uh, directly qualified. So that's five groups of six. 
each of these teams will play the other four teams just once, and the top team in each group will go on into the second round. In the second round, each of these group winners will face another group winner in a home away tie, and the winner would have uh, want, gone into the third and final round. So going through the groups, uh, a lot of these have like one runaway team that you could have really seen winning overall from the very beginning. Uh, group A was El Salvador. They won that group over the likes of Antigua and Barbuda and Montserrat. So that is Group A. Group B was Canada. And Canada obviously is a good team. Have two of the best young talents in the world in Alfonso Davies and Jonathan David. David. Uh, they scored 27 goals, only conceded one. Made very short work of some teams that maybe could have honestly challenged them, including Suriname, but they went on. Group C was Curaçao and Guatemala. This came down to the final day. Curaçao and Guatemala were actually tied on points, but Curaçao had the head-to-head -head record above Guatemala, so they went on to the second round. Panama uh, in Group D got over uh, Dominican Republic. They kind of had a runaway uh, group as well. Haiti went over Nicaragua. Uh, very close, relatively. I think it also came down to the final day, but... Uh, Haiti eventually came out on top and group F was really interesting because you would guess that Trinidad and Tobago would have made it through but they actually got second to St. Kitts and Nevis. Trinidad and Tobago obviously was the team that knocked the U.S. out of 2018 World Cup contention. They are now knocked out themselves in the very first round. So those are the six group winners there in the second round. Again the home and away tie. St. Kitts and Nevis played El Salvador. El Salvador uh, pretty much destroyed them, one six zero on aggregate to qualify for the third round. Haiti versus Canada. Canada had a very stringent 1-0 win away at Haiti, but once it came back to Canada's temporarily uh, home stadium in SeatGeek Stadium in Chicago, they scored three goals. One of them was a, the worst own goal that I've ever seen from the Haitian <laughs> goalkeeper. Go look it up because it is... It honestly like made me curl up like in a cringe ball because of how bad it was. Panama and Curacao was a very close affair, actually. It came down to the final minutes for Curacao to potentially mount a comeback, but that ended 2-1 to one to Panama. So the three direct qual well, not direct qualifiers, but the three qualifiers to the third and final round were El Salvador, Canada, and Panama. And so in the third round, and this is basically the, the end of, of this, Though the the eight teams that are going to be competing in a round robin fashion, so each team will play the other seven teams twice home and away, and those teams are Canada, Honduras, El Salvador, United States, Panama, Costa Rica, Mexico, and Jamaica, and those are going to be a very interesting grab bag of teams that the U.S. is going to have to play. I'm not going to go through all of the games because I'm going to talk about that more as we get closer and after the Gold Cup and we learn more about the CONCACAF teams, whatever, whatever. But I will say the first three teams that we're going to face, and it's all in the same window, are El Salvador away, Canada at home, and Honduras away. So very, very tough matchups in terms of how we're starting. We're going to learn a lot about the team in those th first three matches you know, and then we have the middle section, but the end, which is the reason why we need to qualify as soon as possible, is a Mexico away, Panama at home, 
and Costa Rica away. That's the last window, last three games. So, yes, that's going to be very, very difficult if we don't finish that out. And, yeah, that, that, that is CONCACAF World Cup qualifying as it stands. The first matches begin this September. Jack has something to add to this segment because uh, I hijacked his segment. He gets to hijack yeah. mine. Jack, what do you have to say? Got to hijack it back. Well, I, I was, uh, while you were doing that, I got a tweet from, you know, some may call him a, a goat. Others might call him a tap-in merchant of transfers. But Fabrizio Romano has confirmed that U.S. MNT or U.S. I think he's a youth team player. Yeah. Uh, Conrad De La Fuente is officially going to join Olympique Marseille from Barcelona right. yeah. this week. And the agreement was all reached. Personal terms are completed. So paperwork and medicals are coming up. So it looks like that we're going to have another American trying to make his name in league on, which is going to be kind of cool to see. So uh, a quick little update on that, since that's been a bit of a transfer saga that's yeah. been going on for almost a month. It feels like now uh, it, it, it's probably been a lot shorter than that, but it feels like a long time that <laughs> yeah. it's been going on for. So I thought uh, even th- even though like it might not be the biggest piece of USMNT news, it's an interesting bit, at least. Yeah, I, I 100% agree. Conrad has been linked to a move for the longest time ever since he stopped really playing for the Barcelona first team, which was almost immediately since he got <laughs> called up there. Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited to see him. I'm excited to see him going against Tim Weah. Lille versus Marseille. It's going to be some must-watch TV for U.S. men's national team fans. All right, that's it for the USMNT corner. Checks out next week for the U.S. men's national team as we talk about potentially the Gold Cup roster being out. Probably not, but we'll see what we talk about next week. Let's go on to last week's predictions where we try to find out who is the best predictor of football matches, me or Jack. Hint, uh, it's not me this week, unfortunately. We're going to get into those games right now. Jack, why don't you first explain uh, the scoring system and also go into our first match, which is France versus Germany. Yeah, well, the scoring system is 10 points for getting the correct result, 20 points for getting the scoreline exactly dead on, and then zero points for getting none of that correct. So France versus Germany in the Euros, the opening match for each of these teams. France played an absolutely wonderful defensive game without offering much themselves going forward. The only goal was scored by Mats Hummels, who directed it past Manuel Neuer into his own net. Although the build-up play from France for that goal was kind of special. Pogba played a perfect pass over the top, and Hernandez played it in, and Hummels tried to put it over the goal, but instead put it right over Neuer. And nice. France had the ball in the back of the net themselves twice, but Kylian Mbappe, the Ninja Turtle himself, was mm. offside on both instances. France did not look their best going forward, but they were really good at the back with the entire midfield trio, Rabio, Conte, and Pogba, all shining. Their defense was good. Pavard got knocked out for a solid 15 seconds, and somehow with some cold water was, I'm going to use air quotes here good to play yeah uh, no. he didn't really he did not really look like himself after that but you know props to him i guess for trying to push through a possible concussion not the best thing to see as a france fan but good nonetheless germany only had one shot on target the entire game which Loris easily saved it was a very good opener for france's european campaign aj thought this was going to be a draw he was close one to one pretty close one goal off yeah so he gets zero points I, of course, backed my team, France. <laughs> I said two to zero. I'll, I'll take 10 points on that. I wish it could have been two zero. Probably could have been, but 
offside or oh man well i'm glad you didn't get any more points not that it (laughs) not that it helped me that you only got 10 points uh at the end but let's go on to the next game which is also the european championship another group stage game denmark versus belgium uh this result in this game uh, truly really didn't matter it was a celebration of life as denmark played their first game after christian erickson had a very very scary cardiac arrest but a game was played and it was all Denmark in the first half. Poulsen scored early for Denmark in the second minute, capitalizing on a misplaced Belgian pass. And all throughout the first half, Belgium's defense and midfield just weren't up for the challenge. However, in the second half, something magical happened. And that magical thing has a name called Kevin De Bruyne. In the second half, he came on along with Axel Witzel and Eden Hazard. And unsurprisingly, Belgium crushed Denmark. KDB was just pulling the strings, setting up Thorgan Hazard for the equalizer and scored a goal for, for himself after a wonderful sequence of passes that feature the likes of Lukaku and Eden Hazard. This game ended 1-2 in favor of Belgium. I said it was going to be 2-0. I get 10 points. Fairly close. Jack got it right on the money. He saw that KDB wasn't going to come on to the second half and when he did, it was going to be insane. He gets 20 points for that, so... Yeah, definitely not a good start for the week for me. Uh, but Jack, England versus Scotland. Surely I should have scored points and you probably got zero, right? No, walk us through what happened there. Oh yeah, well let's 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 take a look at this one. Uh honestly, you know, for such heated rivals, this wasn't the most exciting game. It, there was good defensive shifts by both sides, some good saves by Pickford and David Marshall. Uh, but honestly, England were playing way too conservatively and it showed. They, they allowed Scotland to really control the midfield. Billy Gilmore had a very good shift in there, was named man of the match by uh, UEFA as well, uh, which is awesome as a Chelsea fan. Uh, Mason Mount had a few chances that, that he probably could have converted. Not great, uh, but, you know, Scotland scuffed a few easy chances. Shea Adams, very close to scoring twice in this match, scuffed it both times. Unfortunately for uh, for Scotland, or actually, no, unfortunately for the UK, let's say, because yeah. Scotland are going to be happy to take a point away from Wembley, while the UK are facing the prospect of failing to top this group. You know, like I say it, UK, not England. Uh, sorry. Oh, that. right. Oh, my God. I don't, that. Yeah, that, that includes Scotland. Uh, England. <laughs> yeah, that, that's a very important distinction. While England faced the prospect of failing to top the group. But at the end of the day. It does look like uh, it's a very big possibility that none of the UK teams top the group there. So uh, there we go. So but AJ predicted a 2-1 win for England. (sighs) Not quite. And I predicted a 1-1 draw. Wasn't a 1-1, but it was a draw. So I'll take the 10 points. Yeah, congratulations. It actually was the first time uh, a nil-nil draw happened in England in the entirety of these two teams storied past so uh that's pretty pretty impressive by scotland for getting that that record and not so great for england Uh, let's go on to the copa america which happened uh which began this past week argentina are back as they put on a a great show against uruguay to to have their second game of the copa america they destroyed uruguay just one to zero. Not really. I'm just joking there. <laughs> this iteration of the Clasico del Rio de la Plata, which I did not know is their rivalry name, which is a, a beautiful name, I will say. 
uh, it was a tight affair. Rodriguez of Argentina scored a header off a wonderful messy cross. And after that, Argentina did create things, but couldn't really put anything away. Really, they kind of, uh, I wouldn't say parked the bus, but they kind of uh, poop-housed it a little bit, I guess you could say. <laughs> uh, Rodriguez and DePaul really bossed up the midfield for Argentina, minimizing any buildup from Uruguay, including their defense. Uh, the Argentinian defense was very, very good. But speaking of Uruguay, as I said last week, if Uruguay couldn't win in the midfield, they wouldn't win this game. And it was true. Bentancourt, Valverde, De La Cruz all couldn't muster anything up. And most importantly, couldn't get any meaningful balls to Cavani and Suarez. Suarez had the least touches of any player that went 90 minutes, just 25. And I don't know, maybe getting balls to Suarez and Cavani, who are undoubtedly some of the best players in Europe right now, is kind of important. So maybe that's something you should try out next time, Uruguay. Just kidding. You know, a lot of this came down to Argentina playing well. We thought this was going to be a pretty, pretty set stalemate. I said one to one. Jack said two to two. It didn't end up that way. It was one to zero to Argentina for zero points for the both of us. But uh, another prediction that we saw, we actually did get right, I should say, is LA Galaxy versus Seattle Sounders in MLS. It ended two to one in favor of the away side, the Sounders. This is two historical juggernauts of MLS facing off just this past Saturday, and it was a doozy. In the 20th minute, Chicharito, I'll be honest, he dived in the box and won a penalty for the Galaxy. Sasha Kleschen converted a perfect penalty to give LA the lead, a great corner from Joao Paulo, and an even better header from Yamar Gomez equalized for the Sounders in the 41st minute. And the key man that we singled out last week Raul Ruiz Diaz scored in the 49th minute to put him tied in the golden boot race. Seattle won this game 2-1 and have been dominant in the league. They're the only team that's undefeated. They have 21 points in nine games. They've yet to concede a single goal from open play, all while missing their best attacker in Jordan Morris, their best midfielder in Nicolas Lodero, and their best goalkeeper in Stefan Fry. They are undoubtedly the best team in MLS right now. Jack and I both knew that the LA Galaxy are frauds. <laughs> we, uh, we guessed, for me, a 3-2 victory for the Sounders, and Jack, a dosacero 2-0 for Seattle Sounders. We both get 10 points for that. And Jack, I will give you the honors of, well, talking about how this entire week shaped up for the both of us. Yeah, well, AJ got 20 points. Not his worst showing, for, okay. for sure. Okay, wow, yeah, not, yeah not that worst. is true, yeah. Our worst is, of course, zero points. For the uh, both of us, yeah. Yeah, which we didn't even know was possible, but it happened. Uh, and I got 50 points. Nice. So it feels good. Feels good to finally get back to winning ways with the predictions. Because I feel I feel I probably just cursed myself because every time I've said that, it's gone the other way. So AJ, I probably just blessed you up right there. Yeah, I'm and now that you said that, I'm feeling pretty confident in these next couple of games, especially because two of the games that we're predicting this week are MLS. MLS is back in action, so we decided to talk a bit about that. Uh, and it's definitely not just because we don't know who the Euro knockout rounds are going to be, so we can't predict that. It's yeah, definitely because we really just want to talk about Inter-Miami. That's, that's definitely the case. Yep. But let's start out with some of the, the Euro group stage matches that are going to be finishing up with uh, Portugal versus France. Let's talk about France again. Jack, how is this going to end your favorite team? 
Well, the last two times these teams met produced only one goal, and it was a goal from an unlikely source, N'Golo Conte, who won the game for France at Port- in Portugal, uh, which was very impressive. This isn't being played for ho- at home for either of these sides. I believe it's being played in... Actually, no. Uh, yeah, it's being played in Budapest, uh, uh, in Hungary, yes. uh, for, for these two sides. Ultimately, Portugal's defending is very suspect, and they've been playing too conservatively. France... They know they need to go bold for the for this match. And because of that, I'm going to back them to win. And they they know they need this win. And it, it's revenge too. Come on, for the Euro 2016 mm-hmm. final. I'm backing them to win, albeit I I I think they'll still concede a goal in there. It's why I don't have any French defenders in my fantasy team because <laughs> I don't quite trust the defense yet. I'm going to go Portugal 1 to France 2. All right. Well, I had that exact uh, lineup or uh, exact score line so i'm gonna go with a zero to one win for france okay. i uh, for the exact same reasons don't necessarily trust france and their defense but i especially don't trust portugal <laughs> and their defense they played way too conservatively we've been saying that all all, all night and despite all these issues on both sides both on their defense i see portugal as being the biggest losers their defense just cannot be ignored they are the first reigning Euro champions to concede four goals in one game. Uh, Diaz, Semedo, Pepe, they all have to do better, while Portugal's attackers actually had to play with some intensity. Pereira, Fernandez, Silva, all were subpar last game, where they, where they conceded four goals and only could muster two against a very good Germany side. Start Sanchez, that's what I'm going to say, because for crying out loud, he is one of their best midfielders. He had so much to the attack. In my mind, France's issues require a few tweaks to fix, a few personnel changes, a few maybe formation changes. Portugal's issues are very structural. It's coaching, it's team selection, it's team identity. They're going to lose this one to zero in my mind. That is how that's going to happen. Let's see how Spain and Slovakia turns out. Jack, seeing as you are a Slovakia fan as well, why don't you take this one? This is a one that we weren't really expecting to be a, a must-win match for the both of these. We weren't really expecting this to be a very important match in the group stage. How is this going to turn out? Well, yeah, like we said, Spain has not looked fantastic in this tournament. On the other hand, I think Slovakia has looked pretty good this tournament. The one thing they've been missing is urgency, but if Spain are going to play like they did in the last two games, where they didn't have much urgency, it shouldn't be much of a problem. I... I honestly see this. I I don't think Spain is going to win it because their attack is not good. They they haven't gotten their lineups right. Their midfield is weak without Busquets in it, and because of that, I and you know I I need to I I want to talk a little bit more about Slovakia because I think their defense is very good. Skriniar has been good. Dubrovka was honestly I think man of the match against Sweden, mm-hmm. uh, even though he gave away a penalty. He was fantastic. He made four saves still. Almost got to the penalty, guessed the right way, got a fingertip to it, just couldn't get it out. And, you know, he he was fantastic in that. And because of that, and given that Spain can't seem to find their way on target for their lives, um, I'm I'm gonna go uh in on Slovensko, uh Yedin a Yedin, which means one to one for it, uh the scoreline here. All right. Well, Man, I had that same exact score oh, line. No. So I'm this actually gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna shake it up. I'm not I'm okay, not gonna okay. guess the draw at all. 
because I'm reading my notes and um, obviously this is not a match that people were really banking on being like a very must watch match, but Slovakia against Sweden, they played for the draw. They didn't really have a very organized attack going forward. In my opinion, at least I think, I think they could have gone, they could gotten more for it. I suppose I could say Spain, however, were just terrible. Again, dominant possession had an XG of three and couldn't score more than one goal. Just no chance creation or conversion from them. Am I going to say this is, will be a draw? No, actually. I'm going to say that Slovakia poop house it a little bit. They might get an early goal. They might not. They might score a late goal and kind of just uh, sit back for a little bit and let Spain pass the ball to themselves a little bit, get like 90, 102% possession and not do anything with it. Jack, I am I am actually going to back your Slovakian team oh. to win this game one to zero. I'm going. Oh, I, I'm going. I wish I had that Slovakia. faith. I wish I had that faith. I do not have that faith in this side. I even said going into the preview, the I I thought Slovakia would draw every single one of their games. That was my prediction. Well, I'm guessing they win another one. So oh, if I I'll went first. It. If I went first, I'd definitely go for the one-one draw, but I'm I'm feeling lucky. I'm feeling spicy. You know what? Since I've stolen your score lines for the last two, why don't you go? So maybe you might steal my score line instead yes, for this next I, one. Um maybe I will, but I, I'll tell you right now, my notes for this is a single sentence. This is Brazil versus Colombia in the Copa America. It's Brazil. In Brazil. Colombia didn't play well against Venezuela, Peru. There's no way they're making it out of this alive. It's going to be three to zero for Brazil. Literally, the only thing you need to know, Brazil in Brazil. Jack, what do you have to say about this? Well, you know, I think the last time someone said, come on, it's Brazil in Brazil. Okay. They ended up losing <laughs> well, yes. seven to one. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, but I don't think that's the case. Germany in 2014 are a lot better than Colombia in 2021. And in the last few matchups, in the last five, Colombia's won one, uh, lost two, and drawn the last two of them. Do I think it's going to be a draw? No. It's on home soil for Brazil. Colombia have been poor. I think Luis Diaz is still suspended for another match, if I'm remembering correctly. Uh, and if that's the case, that Colombia are missing a very good presence for them. And because of that, I'm going to say, I, I was going to say 3-0. I'm, <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm going to say, you know what? I'm going to hope Colombia nick one goal. I'm going to go three to one. Okay. Let's let's hope that they can get something from this. So it's not a, a total KO for them, but I don't have much hope in them. All right. All right. Well, that makes us and probably the entire nation of Colombia. So that they, <laughs> we got that going for us. Let's move up up north. Let's talk about MLS. We've been missing MLS for a little bit. So let's get two games under our belt in this prediction segment. Jack, I'll let you take this one. Maybe we're going to guess the same scoreline again. This is Inter-Miami CF versus Orlando City SC. This is the Florida Derby. I, I don't know what interstate <laughs> connects them, so I can't uh, give them an interstate-named rivalry name. But, uh, Jack, who do you think is going to win this Florida matchup? Well, see, these two teams are very different. <laughs> uh, really, yeah. Very, yeah. very different. One of them, uh, you know, has been terrible with uh, their financial practices and one of them is looking at potentially getting 20 million from a sale of a striker mm -hmm. uh and it's not just that that financial difference it's the on-field quality as well 
Orlando City have lost only one game this season, whereas Inter-Miami have lost five. And they were pretty poor against uh, DC United. They had a red card in that game, so they're going to be missing a player. They had two, uh, actually. They, they had two. I only saw the first one, so they that's... Gregor that's, and <laughs> our man, Ryan Shawcross, with oh. a straight red. Wow. Okay, so that's two players they're going to be missing. That, that doesn't help them. They're playing at home, but still... It's Orlando City. Daryl DK is back. He is Mm -hmm. committed for now to helping Orlando City. And I honestly just see Daryl DK completely bossing it over and like just destroying Inter Miami. And, you know, Orlando City have gotten so much better over the past year and a half. It's incredible. And because of that, I'm going to back them. My favorite city in Florida uh, to to end up winning this. We'll say two to zero. I'll say oh my two to gosh. zero. You're never gonna believe you're, it. You're, you, no. <laughs> you're never no gonna believe that we had the same scoreline oh, again. How does this happen? We have the same brain. We 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 interact too much about soccer. We, yeah, we have the same brain on it. I I, I had a dosisera for Orlando, but I'm going to bump that up to. Mm, I'm gonna go three to one. I think. Okay. I think Inter Miami, maybe uh Higuain, like like somehow scores Which a one? goal on accident. Uh, I'm gonna go to the one that said that. He thought MLS was going to breeze that he can uh, play with a cigarette in his mouth. I'm going to go with, with that guy. Gonzalo. Yeah, exactly. That, what a terrible quote from him. Really disrespectful <laughs> to the league. But Inter-Miami, they've lost the last three games. Haven't scored a goal in that time. They've now lost, like I mentioned, Gregor and Ryan Shawcross to red cards last game. Who cares if they're home? Orlando are second, second in the East have the fourth best away record and inter Miami haven't won at home yet. Literally have not won at home yet. Inter Miami are a terrible team full of a grab bag of subpar talents, subpar coaching and subpar ownership. Oof. That's right. David Beckham, get out of oh, here. Oh God. <laughs> yeah. I, I, really I, ripping into him. Hey, anyone that's been listening to this podcast knows how much inter Miami is like kind of get on my nerves. It's going to be a 3-1 to one victory for Orlando City. I'm going to say Pato gets a goal. I'm going to say DK, whether or not he starts or subs in, he'll probably get a goal. I'm going to say Nani gets a goal. Is he still playing okay. for them? Who cares? Yeah. He's going to score. He'll, <laughs> if, he'll if he's score not, anyway. he's going to come back and, and score for them. All right. yeah. why, why don't you take it for the last one so I don't steal your scoreline yet again? All so, right. Well, let me know if you do actually have the scoreline. Okay. It is Austin FC versus Columbus Crew. This is in MLS, and this is the matchup of the week. If you're going to watch any soccer that's not Euros, not Copa America, please, please, please watch Austin FC versus Columbus Crew on FS1. The rivalry match that we've all been waiting for. A couple years ago, Anthony Precourt, the owner, the then owner of Columbus Crew, threatened to move the team out of Columbus and into Austin. And now... He got his way. He, the Columbus crew stayed in Columbus, but he got a team in Austin, Austin FC. Now they're playing each other. Very heated between fans. Uh, potentially heated between players. We have yet to see, but it is going to be the rivalry matchup of the month, of the year, perhaps, in MLS. Austin FC is going to host the crew in a packed Q2 stadium. It's going to be at home at, in Austin. Columbus have won the last three games. Meanwhile, Austin haven't won a game since May 1st against, hmm, let me check. Oh, Minnesota United, of <sighs> course, of course. But recently, 
Austin FC's attack of Strode, uh, Dominguez, and Gallagher just cannot transition, cannot create meaningful chances, and in my opinion, that's going to screw them up. They have a good defense, I will give them that, but can they stack up against the crew side that scored six goals in three games and have an attack that has Zardes, Etienne Jr., Nagby, Zellerion, and now a healthy Kevin Molina? Ooh. Answer is no. Answer is no. I'm <laughs> going with a 2-1 to one victory for Columbus Crew. They're going to get revenge on the team that they hate most. Jack, Austin FC versus Columbus Crew, the Anthony Precourt rivalry. Is Austin FC going to get their first home victory? You said 2-1 to one for Crew? Yeah. I do not have the same scoreline. I have a close one. I have 2-0, actually. Okay. I, I don't know what it is, but I just don't trust Austin FC to score against uh, against Columbus. They Columbus are just really solid so far. I I mean it, it's it's hard to find a, a team better than them unless you go to Seattle uh in MOS honestly. And you know Zellerion, Zardes, like you said, Molino coming back from injury who for Minnesota changed games by himself. Yes. That is massive. Plus Darlington Nagby is fit. It, I I I I really am only seeing a way that Columbus wins this and getting revenge, you know, against Anthony Precourt for them. I, I also think, you know, I, I think that might be a little bit more of a drive for them as well. And, you know, it is a packed Q2 stadium, but at the same time, they can only mitigate Columbus so much that that's yeah. the thing that that's the thing. And I, I like Austin FC. I think they're a, they're a solid team for an expansion side who have done well to get results, but up against the crew, the MLS cup champions, I, I don't see it happening this time yeah. around. I'm getting excited. Just, just thinking about this because whatever happens, it's going to be Twitter is going to be an absolute, just toxic oh, yeah. cesspool for a couple days. I, I, <laughs> I really want to just, just some inside baseball right here. I do want to get a friend of the show, twin Oaks TV on the show this week or next week to talk about Austin FC, how they've been doing, and more importantly, this match that's coming up, because this is going to be a good one. Jack, those are our predictions. How are you feeling about your predictions? We have a lot of similar ones, except for one game. How do you think you'll fare this week? I, I'm feeling pretty good, you know. I, 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 ba- I back Slovakia to not win, <laughs> Oh gosh. <laughs> which, is, which is weird to say as a, as a, as a fan of them, but oh, honestly, what have I done? <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm not sure if I would have gone as bold as you for saying Slovakia would get a win against Spain, but you know what, if, if, you know what, if you do, if it does work out for you, I'll take it because it means that yeah. Slovakia are going to the round of 16. Yeah. I, and I, I prove you wrong on the Euros predictions where you yeah. said Slovakia would finish dead last. So in a way, I think we're both going to be cheering like pretty equally hard for Slovakia to win, which is Oh yeah, I yeah. For of for for very different reasons, but that's going to be an interesting <laughs> match to say the least. I'm feeling confident as always. Will it pay off? Maybe, maybe not. That is it for the final third podcast. Uh, Jack, do you have anything to say to our listeners before we sign off this late on this late Sunday night? Well, as always, make sure to check out our Twitter and Instagram at Final Third Show. There's a ton of great content going on there. Uh, memes, uh, tweets about about politics, about UEFA messing up uh, in, in their in their in their effort to get rid of politics. 
mm-hmm. whatever that means. And uh, all, all of the other stuff that we're covering on there, MLS stuff. AJ has been giving some great updates on the Copa America and MLS players in there. So if you ever want to know if your favorite MLS player is starting, just t- take a look at our Twitter before the game and AJ will tell you. Yeah. So there you go. Check out our Twitter if, uh, and it will be it will be a good time. Yeah, we're also live tweeting a lot of the Euro and Copa America games. Check out the, the Portugal and France game to see Jack meltdown when Ronaldo scores a hat trick against France. And It's fine because Griezmann will score, score four then. It will be fine. Yes. Actually, no, not Griezmann. Giroud, of course. Giroud, yeah. Giroud's yeah, finally going to start. Maybe, maybe. Well, maybe. if it happens, go on our Twitter and you'll see Jack absolutely get so, so excited <laughs> about that. Uh, follow us on whatever podcast platform you listen to us on. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Spreaker, what have you. Uh, leave a rating and a review there as well. Tell a friend about the show. Tell your dad even. I'm sure he would love to hear us talk about the Euros. And we'll see you guys this Thursday when we talk more Euros. Talk a little Austin FC, hopefully. And we'll see you guys next Monday for the News and Predictions episode. Same time, same place. See ya. Bye for now. <laughs>